0: Friends, welcome back to Redrawing the Bath. I am your host, Chris Harmon, and today I have the special opportunity to welcome to the show the founder and co-owner of Choir, Raphael Palendo. Ralph, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. So I want to start by talking to you about your spiritual journey from when you first met Jesus to where you are now.
1: Yeah, I was uh, actually raised in a Christian home. Um, both my parents had uh, initially were Catholic, uh, in origin. And then I think in their, uh, teenage high school years, uh, transferred over to Protestant side. And so I was raised in a Christian home. And even from the age of three, I think the church we were attending at the time, um, would have me go on stage and recite memory verses for the congregation. So, um, you know, it was, uh, was definitely steeped in, um, Protestant Christianity and, uh, getting older and growing up in the faith, more so in the evangelical side of things. I went to a Christian school, um, went to Biola, uh, for college as a Bible Mm -hmm. college and, uh, was very involved in, um, my church at the time. Um, grew up in more of a, uh, small startup church. And then, um, later on transferred over to a more mega church, uh, non-denominational setting. So yeah, I was very involved, was, um, part of worship teams and was a youth pastor at one point. I was even being trained to be a teaching pastor and uh, had even led uh, missions trips uh, over to Uganda, several trips. And so Hmm. it was very much um, just kind of going with the flow and uh, wasn't uh, disillusioned with the church, wasn't really dissatisfied. I mean, I, I got to peek behind the curtain a little bit and see some of the you know, the ugly side of, uh, church politics and what can go on behind closed doors. But for the most part, I was, I was content with my experience and very happy with it until I read a uh, book called pagan Christianity that basically blew the door off the hinges for me. And so that was kind of the, uh, the match that was initially struck in my uh, deconstruction. Hmm. Uh, and that book basically challenges the majority of what we consider uh, normative for church practice today. And, um, really traces the development of what we do and where it came from and is challenging the understanding that we're basically following the Bible and all we do uh, in terms of church and showing that most mm-hmm. of what we do is actually from pagan origins or was co-opted um, centuries later and and can actually be antithetical to what the New Testament had envisioned. So that uh, that set me off on a journey of kind of rediscovering what do I believe, why do I believe it? Um, which eventually led to choir, which
0: eventually led to this conversation today. Heck yeah, i've 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 heard about that book. I haven't read it, but it seems like that book has really, in I don't want to say done some damage, but it seems like it's definitely sparked a, a lot of the questions that that so many people have. Were there any other books that 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 helped spark that for you? Oh, definitely.
1: There was, I mean, books along the way that would. Kind of topple these different um, paradigms that I had, or different beliefs that I had. Uh, I know my concept of so like talking about uh, male-female relationships, uh, complementarism versus egalitarianism, and you mm-hmm. know, the role of women in ministry and things like that. There was a book by John Zenz, uh, Zens, Z E N S, called "What's with Paul and Women," and that one for <laughs> me was like the final nail in the coffin of, uh, complementarianism. So just recognizing the role of women within the body of Christ and, um, and women being able to lead and, which is funny because, you know, I don't know if you've experienced this too, but when you come a certain ways down deconstruction, and then you think back and look back to beliefs that you had, they may seem silly now when at the time it was, you know, very, um, very near and dear to your heart and you were willing Mm -hmm. to you know, um, fight yeah. tooth and nail to protect these beliefs you hold. And looking back now, it's like, yeah, I can't believe I, I believe that. So I think, um, you know, for those of us out there who have experienced a bit of deconstruction and hopefully come out on the other side, I think it really is important to have grace not only for yourself in the journey and your history, but also for folks who are, uh, who are currently where you used to be. Um, I think too often it's easy for those of us who have, um, gone down this road to turn up our noses at um, friends and family and others who who haven't quite gone down the same journey, and I think it's important to remember that you know we're all in the process, and uh, mm. you know we all hold beliefs at one time or another, and even currently that you know a couple of years from now we may look back on and laugh and can't believe that we we held to that. So
0: yeah, and, and that's such a good piece of advice for for people in in our circumstances in the sense that we, it, it's so easy to, to cut people out that disagree with us. And, and I, I don't know about yourself, but especially for me, I, I was, so it's funny. Cause I grew up in California. I was raised in California. I went to a church that was pastored by a guy who for a, a very prominent reformed pastor, he was his associate pastor back in the day. Um, so I, I needless to say this this main pastor has made a very nice career and empire out of telling everyone who's in and who's out mm. um, and so I I bought that hook line and sinker I mean I remember being being told that I shouldn't read the shack and then yeah. not reading the shack going and telling people don't read the shack yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> which I mean that's just kind of the mindset in, in those cultures but I'm interested since you say that what was the response of, of the people around you when you started going through this deconstruction uh you know thankfully i I think
1: my story is fairly unique in that I didn't receive a ton of pushback, and mm-hmm. I'm grateful for that uh, I know a lot of folks who were ostracized from faith communities and family members and things like that and I, I think my my deconstruction was more just internal angst as opposed to any anything external so mm-hmm. um my uh, my folks have been you know very supportive and listen and um, are willing to engage in topics and and read some of the books that I've read along the way and so that was really helpful. Um, when I did decide to step away from the quote unquote institutional church, uh, I found support there even with hmm. folks that I was in a relationship with and it was kind of an understanding of like, well, this is the, you know, the path that God's leading you down. These are your convictions, you know, go and be blessed. And so I still have a lot of friendships and relationships with those folks, which is great. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was only a handful of of people who just had a difficult time with some of the questions I was raising. And it was more so looking back uh, my fault uh, in the sense that, and uh, this may apply to some of your listeners So see if this sounds familiar, but when you, (laughs) When you feel like you discover something new or your world gets turned upside down or you have kind of a fresh understanding of something, the first thing you want to do is go out and share it with everybody because you feel like, oh, this is phenomenal news and Mm -hmm. I want everyone to experience this freedom or understand this insight or have this same epiphany that I did. And more often than not, if people are not in a place where they're ready to experience that or to think differently or to engage in that, then it just tends to put up walls and cause uh, division and friction. And so um, just as an example, after reading pagan Christianity and, and personally becoming convinced of, um, you know, a lot of the, the detriment of what the modern institutional church movement has done, I was, I became an evangelist for organic church. And so mm-hmm. I began, you know, telling all my friends who are still, you know, within the church structure and even those who are on staff and in different leadership positions. And I quickly discovered that it was causing a wedge between myself and people that I really cared about. Um, And it was because I I was becoming more zealous about the concept and the deconstruction and challenging the ideas more so than the actual people I was talking to. So it was kind of a wake up call to realize that, you know, when you you do experience these things, you kind of have to uh, be sensitive to those around you. And really try and discern, you know, is is this person ready for this conversation? Are they looking for something more? Are they currently dissatisfied? Um, because if you just start, you know, blasting people with information <laughs> and trying to shock them out of the matrix, it's it's not going to end well.
0: Hmm. Well, it's the allegory of the cave, right? We see our friends tied to these posts and we're like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Like, snap out of it like come out there's sun out there these are just figures projecting their shadows and not only do they not want to hear it but they're also much more happy there to an extent yeah yeah with that being said what what were some of the things that that you rethought over the course of this time what you, you talk about the the new things that you found that you became zealous for what you mentioned complementarianism and you mentioned an organic ecclesiology mm-hmm. but but what were some other things
1: yeah so uh yeah back to your original question thanks for bringing it full circle um mm-hmm. so it started with uh, ecclesiology and with that came the the complementarianism because once you start deconstructing what is church then you recognize oh, a lot of these titles and functions that we hold to aren't are what we uh we think of them as and so um the role of women in church and leadership and that one fell pretty quickly Um, Then I uh, shifted from eternal conscious torment to uh, annihilationism, Mm -hmm. uh, which was one of the three uh, views that the early church held. Um, And then eventually, more recently, made a shift from annihilationism to patristic universalism. Mm -hmm. Um, How recent was that? uh, So... Typically when I'm wrestling with a concept, it's not like an overnight shift. It'll, it'll usually, mm-hmm. the seeds will be sown and it's something that I'll kind of sit with and chew on for a bit. And I'll tend to lean towards one direction without being, you know, very definitive in my, in my, um, assertion. Uh, and so that one took, took a bit where I, I felt like I was leaning towards that direction. You know, I felt like that was more comfortable in that direction, but it's probably only within the last. Um, maybe six months that I would say I'm, I'm confidently in that camp. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, another, another thing that kind of got dismantled fairly early on was the concept of inerrancy and infallibility and all that that entails uh, in terms of scripture. Um, The biggest book to help with that was by Derek Flood called Disarming Scripture. Mm -hmm. Really powerful book and just helped me to really understand what it meant to have a Christocentric hermeneutic and to view scripture through the lens of Christ and be comfortable with the concept that scripture is man's account of his dealings with God and not so much God dictating um, dictating words mm-hmm. and so uh, I don't want to give too much more away but if you're if that's an area that you're wrestling with or that that um, you want more clarity on I can't recommend that book highly enough
0: yeah it, it brings so much healing to to think about it from that perspective and also it, it makes so much more sense and you and you mentioned that earlier of once you see something you can't really go back but it's just one of those things that just makes so much more sense and then it, it, and back to the allegory of the cave you you want to share that with your friends of hey this will bring healing to the doubts that you have and then they don't want to hear it and so with all that being said so you You've obviously read. You're obviously very well read, and and I'd I'd love to just sit and talk about books that have impacted both of our lives. Yeah. Um. But you you actually work. You you founded a a company that that publishes books now. So so tell us about that.
1: Yeah, that was a kind of an uh, organic, um, uh, way that that came about. No no pun intended, but I. <laughs> I've been a designer for uh, over 20 years now, mm-hmm. and um, I can't remember how long ago it was, but a friend of mine had asked me to design a book cover. Uh, he was going to be launching a new uh, publishing service and needed someone to do a cover, and I was more than happy to. Uh, it was kind of a chance to flex some new muscles and, and um, do something different in design. And so I uh, did the cover, loved it, and then he asked if I could do the interior, Um, which I did as well. I had never laid out an entire book before, so there was a lot of learning on that Mm -hmm. one Um, and really enjoyed that process. And so he was the one who first introduced me to a a company that does uh, print-on-demand. And it's a a company owned by Ingram, which is one of the largest uh, book distributors in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I got really familiar with their system and began helping a lot of uh, self-publishing authors put their books together and kind of guide them through the publishing process Um, which at the time Ingram was just kind of starting off uh, with this whole print-on-demand space and could easily see that this was definitely going to be the future of publishing um, for a lot of people. And so uh, what I discovered was that um, a lot of the folks I knew who were self-publishing, they had great content, but unfortunately the package didn't match. Um, And because people do judge a book by its cover, it just broke my heart that here were these um, self-published authors with great content, but folks really weren't going to take their work seriously because, um, cause you know, the, the book, uh, wasn't designed well, it looked kind mm-hmm. of, you know, mom and pop-ish. And so, um, so part of my thinking was, you know, if we, if I applied my design background and my experience with self-publishing and created a publishing company that could really bridge the gap between traditional publishing and self-publishing, and maybe we could partner with some authors who uh, were willing to start something different and, um, and we could bring content out that, you know, was different from the mainstream, um, things that you weren't finding in typical Christian bookstore, <laughs> uh, but still had quality behind it so that, um, you know, folks were being exposed to new lines of thinking and, um, you know, possibly controversial topics, but topics mm-hmm. worth discussing and wrestling with.
0: Yeah, and that's what's amazing about choir to me is is a the the caliber of authors that that you have, and the caliber of, of thinkers that you have, and also just the the variety of issues that that you you all have decided to tackle as a group is is that a you you mentioned self publishing is that a group think effort or is that just more so an author comes to you and says hey I have this book, or is it just kind of an independent action?
1: Uh, it can be both and actually. Um, mm-hmm. So we typically st- start with uh, authors who come to us, uh, who discover us or who are recommended to us by uh, authors we've worked with previously. And they'll have um, you know a concept in mind or a book that they want to write. And then there have been a few times where Uh, we just had the idea of, you know, we would really like to see a book about this topic. Um, that's kind of how it came about with Keith Giles' recent book, Jesus Undefeated. Mm -hmm. Um, I really felt that in terms of patristic universalism, there were several books on the market that dealt with the topic, but they were either extremely scholarly or very philosophical, um, just a little, a little too inaccessible for the average reader. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a, a shame, um, that you know here's uh, a topic that i think is worthy of discussion but the folks who would probably benefit the most um from from reading it uh, are probably not going to be able to access um the the content in a way that that makes sense to them so i reached out to keith because he is known for being able to distill um pretty weighty topics into very conversational and easy to understand language and just told him mm-hmm. hey would you consider you know, writing a book about this. And at first he he pushed back on it and had a few other books in mind. So it, it kind of went down down the list of his priorities. And I don't remember if it was six months or maybe even a year later, I reached out to him again and pitched him the idea. And um, I think he kind of sat with it, thought about it, prayed about it. And the next day it was like, you know what? Yeah, I think this is, I think you're right. So wrote the book and it's been on the Amazon bestseller list uh, ever since.
0: Yeah. And and I haven't been able to read it yet, but I I'm very excited to to do so, I, it's so funny that you mentioned accessibility because I think it was a week or two ago Keith posted this meme of, of Goldilocks and the Three Bears and it was it was the porridge scene and in one panel it was a it was a picture of that all shall be saved by David Bentley Hart mm-hmm. and it's this one's too I think the word was like scholarly and Not then too heavy or too heavy and then yeah, the the yeah. The, uh, the next one was Love Wins and was, and then it was his book and it was like this one's just right and I was like with with Keith's writing style, I definitely believe that. I haven't read Hart's book, but I've I've read Rob Bell's book. Um, sorry, what were
1: you gonna say? Oh no, it's, I was just gonna say yeah, it's that's um spot on. That that meme um is really the uh, the reason we we put that book project together. So,
0: and it's amazing that that you guys have so many accessible books. I mean, I, I think of Carl Forehand, Matt Cortman, Matt DiStefano, Jamal Javanji, that these not only are they brilliant authors but they're also incredibly accessible people in the sense that what they write you can you can understand it very well um yeah
1: we've been we've been fortunate to work with people that really have a a desire um to kind of get their message out there in a way where it'll impact people on a practical level and i think that's really important um not to downplay the 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 role of scholars or the importance of scholars Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think for our target audience, primarily, um, we want to present ideas and ways of thinking and worldviews in a way that um, makes it easy to kind of wrap your head around and then see the practical manifestations of that in your life. So, you know, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my community, for the people around me? Um, and ultimately, the the purpose of all this isn't just acquiring knowledge for the sake of knowledge, but to actually put it into action and to and to allow this content to be a catalyst for improving our relationships and the world around us and really, you know, experiencing the kingdom of heaven on
0: earth. Hmm. Yeah. And that's, that is what it's about, right. It is, is to experience the kingdom now for sure. And with that, with that in mind, with, with everything that you've been through and, and there's so many people that we've interacted with that, that I'm sure you've engaged with the choir as a, as a, what's the word that I'm looking for? Corporation. uh, There's
1: a company. (laughs) Company. Yeah. Company. That's a better word.
0: Uh, (laughs) Choir as a company has encountered where so many of us come out of this mindset where the, the will of God is just kind of this like mystical airy thing. Hmm. But one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you was because as I look at from, from hearing interviews with, with other people that I've heard you on and also just hearing now, it seems like it, it hasn't been that for you. And, and I think the will of God plays itself out in a much more practical manner than most evangelicals are comfortable with. So I'd really love to pick your brain about the will of God in your life and how that's manifested itself.
1: Hmm. So I think what helped me get a better understanding of it several years ago was a book by Frank Viola called Rethinking the Will of God. Uh, He's Mm -hmm. the same author that did Pagan Christianity, Uh, but he did this short uh, ebook. I think it's available even for free from his website. Uh, I don't remember, but it really did a great job at kind of reframing the whole discussion and the understanding of what is the will of God. And um, so, you know, make sure you pick that up and give that a read. But I think for me, what I've noticed in my life, the way that you know, however you want to understand the will of God, the way that it seems to work is if I'm paying attention to what's going on around me, um, I'll often discover that there's a synergy between my internal desires, um, things that I'm excited about, things that uh, I find that I have a passion for, or, or things that I want to pursue, And then I'll notice that there are opportunities around me for alignment between those two things. And that often is, uh, to me, kind of a green light in that, oh, this is a direction I should move down. Mm. Uh, You know, however, whatever language you want to use, open doors, open windows, you know, that sort of thing. But there's often this alignment and this synergy between the two. There's a a quote from C.S. Lewis. um, I think it was in the Chronicles of Narnia that stuck with me where he says, whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And I think that's Mm. a really important aspect to understanding the quote unquote will of God that I don't know that it's necessarily, you know, something written in stone and you have to discover it and follow it. I think it's more of an experiential thing where we are, Co-laboring and partnering with God, where we share our our desires and our wants, um, whether that's through prayer, or meditation, or however you know you find yourself communicating with the divine. But um, it's really about an awareness of seeing, you know, where is there flow in my life? Where are there resources that are available to accomplish X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. And then stepping out in faith um, and going after that, knowing that to the best of your knowledge, this is where all those signs are pointing um, to go
0: down. So I don't know if that answered mm-hmm. your question at all. Totally. It it, it really does. And it, it's, you mentioned earlier that the choir happened organically. And, and I see that in my life too, in, in in the circumstances that I've found myself in, even now with this podcast, that these things just kind of fell into place of like, I was I've I've been studying theology and I'm I'm not a pastor but I have a pastoral heart mm-hmm. for people who are hurting. Mm-hmm. So what can I do to step in and love my neighbors and my deconstructing brothers and sisters well. Um and and I genuinely hope mm-hmm. and believe that it might be this but with that being said so many of us are like oh well if 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 God wants to move like I I'm just waiting to To find out what God's will is for my life, yeah, or yeah. or for this situation. So, what what would your response with with everything that you've been through in mind? What would your response be to that person?
1: Well, I think you know when when we talk about following the signs, it's not that there's a lack of work or that there's a lack of effort on our part. Uh, hmm. If anything, it's it's the opposite. So, I think I think following the will of God is less about sitting back and waiting for him to tell you what to do and more so of uh, like i said before kind of an experiential thing where mm-hmm. you you take a step and you see what happens and you take another step and you see what happens and um and so it's you know f- i i understand the mentality of like wanting to sit back and wait for god to show you what to do um for me personally in my life that's never really been the way that things have have panned out or worked out Um, Mm -hmm. not to saying that that, not saying that that can never be the case, but just from my experience, that hasn't been it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think for those people who are kind of sitting and waiting, I feel like God gives enough of an impression of something for you to at least, you know, take a step or two in a direction and see if there's life there, see if there's flow, see if there's success, see if, um, you know, if there are any signs to tell you, keep going down this road or you know, maybe turned a different way. And, mm-hmm. uh, another, another aspect to it that I think is really important to understand is recognizing that when we do get in touch with some of our deepest desires, uh, this is my son's chiming in on the podcast real quick. <laughs> oh, <no worries. laughs> you saying hi. <laughs> um, when we do get in touch with our deepest desires and, and I'm not just talking about like selfish wants, I'm talking about things that we really feel that we're passionate about that we are put on this earth to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be willing to let go of our concept of how those things will come to pass. What I mean by that is I think too often we get stuck in the, in the how, um, something will come about or what it's going to look like. Um, when in reality, Mm -hmm. the way that that need or that desire, um, could be fulfilled, could look completely different from what we had in mind. But at the end of the day, it's still, it's still being fulfilled. Um, Mm -hmm. So I know that's, that's happened for me a few times where I'll look back on my life and I'll recognize, oh, this desire that I had, this deep longing uh, came to pass, but it looks nothing like what I initially thought it would look like. And so I think that's important too, to not get hung up on a specific way for something to be fulfilled or for something to happen.
0: Yeah. And and that's, what's so crazy is, is uh, especially growing up evangelical. There was kind of this impression that and, – and I know people that resonate with us that have since burnt out of this kind of mentality of the mentality that, oh, I feel called into ministry, so I'm going to go to Bible college, and then I'm going to meet my wife, and then I'm going to become a youth pastor or pastor, and then I'm going to go to seminary, and then everything's just going to be fine and dandy. But in actuality yeah. – I think I only know one person where it was like, that was their plan and they did it. And that's, that's where they were. And it's obvious that that's where they were supposed to be. And, and, and I think so much of it is that in the meantime, along the way, Jesus calls us into action before we actually get there. And so with what you said about a a Christ eccentric hermeneutic and understanding the will of the father through Christ, what do you think? Jesus has to say about discerning the will of the, uh, the will of God and also waiting on him or or whatever that may entail.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, one of the key verses that comes to mind is where Jesus says, uh, I only do what I see the father doing. Hmm. Uh, And again, that's language of kind of discerning and following and experiencing. So, you know, he didn't say, I only do what the father tells me to do after 40 days of prayer and fasting. Um, mm-hmm. he says, I do what I see the father doing. So it's, he's, he's watching for the signs as well. He's seeing, where's God moving? Where's God working? What is he doing? How can I, uh, partner and co-labor with that? Uh, mm-hmm. and so I think that's, it gives a really good, um, principle for us in our own lives.
0: Hmm. Yeah. that I, I love the, the idea of co-laboring and, and co-suffering of, is that as a, as a model for what, we are called to do. With with that being said, what what does this look like in practicality for you day in and day out now? Obviously, we've talked about things that you've been, you've been, not been through, that makes it sound like it was all bad, but <laughs> things, th- the the places you've been in your life up until this point, but what does this look like for you now? This This idea and concept of what it means to look for the will of God.
1: I think it it really just raises your awareness to the people and the circumstances and the environment around you. Uh, I feel Mm -hmm. like it it causes you to be more hyper-aware. It's almost like a spidey sense. You know, once once you turn that on, um, you begin to look at the world differently. You begin to see opportunities. Um, I think it helps you to listen a little better to the people around you uh, because you're listening for... Uh, needs, you're listening for ideas, you're listening for, um, you know, what's going on in their life. Um, are there things that we can partner in together? I think also when you get in touch with your own wants and desires, then you begin to see where where that can be fulfilled in, in the world around you. Um, so I think a lot of it just comes down to that sense of awareness, um, because otherwise it's so easy to go through life, just, you know, put your head down. Um, punch in punch in punch out day in day out type of mm-hmm. type of thinking without really stopping and trying to be present um, and see um you know is there is there something in motion here that i can be a part of um, or is there a need here that i can uh, supply or is there opportunity present that really um, is in touch with who i am
0: and what my gifts and my callings are Hmm. I think two two more questions and and then I really want to talk about choir a bit and and what sure. y'all are doing there. I think the first one and this could be a really brief question, but with that in mind, what what role does faith play in in the life of a believer trying to walk in the will of God?
1: Hmm. That's a really good question. I think the way I understand it is at least in this circumstance, faith is is recognizing that there is a safety net. Uh, and what I mean by that is at times it kind of feels like we're a trapeze artist and you're mm-hmm. just being flung from, you know, uh, swinging rung <laughs> to swinging rung. And I think trusting in the sense that I believe the universe has been designed for our ultimate healing, for our ultimate growth and maturation, um, and so knowing that at some level, in some respect, there is a safety net underneath us to catch us so that we can quote unquote, step out in faith, that we can go after the things that, um, are ahead of us, that we can pursue our, our dreams and goals. Um, mm-hmm. knowing that, uh, at some level there's, you know, there's something that's going to catch us. Uh, and that's not to say that it's going to look exactly how we think. Um, like I was referencing earlier, Um, but I think that's where faith comes in is when you are in tune, um, with yourself, when you're in tune with your surroundings, you kind of get the sense of, it's, it's hard to describe, but you kind of get the sense of when something is going to work out. It's like, you just know it deep down Mm -hmm. inside. Like this, this is the right move. This is the right thing. Um, and the more you step into that, the more your confidence and the more that faith increases because Mm -hmm. you've experienced it and you've seen it so many times previously in your life, and so I think it becomes easier, um, to do even as maybe the stakes get higher.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that that's good. I think and last question about, about finding God's will. And I, I was trying to think of how to word this, but I figured I, I just got off the, the phone with a, with a friend of mine, Jason Elam. And mm. so I, figured, I, I don't know if you know him, um, but he he's a he he has a podcast called the messy spirituality podcast yeah and we were just having this very raw transparent conversation so i think for the sake of being transparent i want to ask you about advice for for seeking god's will but i'll instead of just giving some vague like example i guess i'll just use myself okay um so for and this might be an introduction for whoever's listening so for me i'm 23 years old I'm married. I'm working on my undergrad as a, as a Bible student. And I've had, quite frankly, I've had door after door of churches where I it looked like I was going to have the possibility to begin a career in ministry, mm-hmm. close their door, like not close their doors, but but either pick someone else or the church closed or yeah, yeah. it wasn't a good situation, whatever the, the, the context may be. So for me, it's like, eventually you get to this point where you're like, oh, like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And at this point, I'm not like, I'm not really looking for that at this yeah. point in my life, but I'm, that's still my passion. Mm-hmm. So for me, what, where do I start to find God's will? And mm. for people that feel like that, and, and it could be anything. It could be in, in, in the workforce as a, as a professional, as a businessman, as an author, as a podcaster as a blogger. For sure. Where where do you start?
1: Yeah, I think so your situation is is interesting and a couple I have a couple of thoughts basically. One is so there's there's two kind of schools of thought and two types of examples we have in history of people who met resistance and just through sheer perseverance and tenacity overcome it, right? Closed door Mm -hmm. after closed door after closed door. And the 500th time, they just keep going after this thing and eventually there's breakthrough and then they're successful and they share their story and we all see the power and the importance of, you know, pushing through an obstacle. Hmm. But then there's there's also stories of folks who are met with resistance and recognize that, um, that the method or the thing that they're going after is not the way that their passion is uh, supposed to come into existence. And they recognize that they have the same passion, but they apply it in a different way or a different method or a different um, you know, output. And they find that this was what they were meant for. And they find a new some new thing um that still fulfills that passion, but it it's not the initial thing they were going after. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's difficult because we have examples of both, and I think it really comes down to starting with yourself and really checking in with yourself and and realizing is your passion specifically tied to, um, you know, working in full-time ministry in a church setting? Um, if it is specifically tied to that, then this may be a situation where you just need to keep persisting until something pans out. Um, or rather, and I think this is more in the majority, is it a chance to recognize that your passion may be separated from what you think is the appropriate outlet for it? And is it time to begin exploring alternative outlets that allow those gifts and talents to still be utilized, but in a mm. way that is different from what you,
0: how you thought it was going to be expressed? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And and it's so, yeah, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And and it's so, it, it's really helpful to to look at it from that perspective as, even as I've been kind of internalizing that with my wife and. And she's kind of said some very similar things of, of, have you thought about seeing what it would take to become a spiritual director? Or mm. she's like, you don't know what this podcast is going to do or sure. whatever the, the situation may be. But for the first time in my life, actually looking at those options instead of just being like tunnel vision, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing, which is so silly because, I mean, my life up until this point has not been that. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, that I think that's, gosh, that's great advice. Thank you, Ralph.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I I know like for myself, ever since I was young, I had folks tell me that, you know, I had a pastor's heart or pastoral gifting. And for a time I was even considering, you know, becoming a pastor and recognizing that some of the gifts and talents that I had did lend itself well to that. But Mm -hmm. then through my deconstruction, um, you know, pursuing kind of traditional church models was no longer something I was interested in. And so for a while I was like, well, what do I do with these, you know, gifts and callings that I have and these, you know, things that people have spoken over me or what they see in me, you know, what do I do with that now that this model is not something I want to invest in? Mm -hmm. And looking back, it's interesting to see in my current role with choir, it's like, I, I get to reach thousands of people And I get to help change thousands of people's lives uh, by partnering with authors and putting content out there that um, is really, uh, I mean, healing like religious wounds. It's really restoring Mm -hmm. people's relationship with God. Uh, It's really helping people to make peace with some of the tension that they had with their faith or their inherited beliefs. And so I still get to fulfill a lot of those desires and using a lot of the same gifts and talents, but it's just being done in a way that I never would have imagined, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Hmm. Um, and yeah. yet the impact is probably significantly greater than if I would have tried to fulfill it through what I assumed was
0: the only way it could be fulfilled. Hmm. No, that, that, that makes perfect sense. And, and with that being said, let's talk about choir. I mean, you guys have books, you guys have podcasts. I, I've heard rumors that you guys are coming out with a board game for <laughs> one of your podcasts. Yeah. Um, but, but what, what are you guys working on? What, it, what is the, you guys have, and, and you, you said it very well that you guys have, have tackled spiritual issues. You guys have helped people heal spiritual wounds. I know even just from hearing hair to Cappy hour, like you guys have healed so many of my own spiritual wounds and you've, you've allowed me to step into circumstances with many people in my life and help them take care of spiritual ones. And so what? what is the direction you guys are going in and, and what is being worked on to, to start pointing you in that trajectory?
1: Yeah, so as a company, we've begun to shift our direction. Uh, obviously, we started uh, strictly as book publishers. And mm-hmm. then um, uh, a, a couple of our authors decided to band together and start a podcast. So we produced that, and that's the Heretic Happy Hour, which I'm grateful you found us through. <laughs> um, and we just started seeing that there was uh, multiple avenues for distributing content nowadays that people prefer to access. And so we decided to shift from just being a publishing company to really seeing ourselves as more of a multimedia company. And so mm-hmm. we still have the publishing as as kind of our anchor and foundation. Uh, we've begun branching out more into podcasts. Um and we will be launching this year uh, online courses. So we've partnered with a college that's allowing us to use their platform and uh, offer continuing education units for their seminary students. But our mm-hmm. authors will be able to create online courses that correspond with their books. And then people will be able to, to take those courses and do deeper dives into the material, uh, which we're really excited about because it's just another way for people to consume uh, the content that they're looking for. Yeah. Eventually, we'd love to expand into short films and even music. And if we can mm-hmm. find ways to be uh, intermediaries or to be disruptive in those industries in the same way we have been with book publishing, then we're really excited about exploring those opportunities and seeing what's possible there. So really just being seen as a company that has highly curated, um, really solid spiritual content that's not afraid to challenge the status quo, um, that is always worth investigating because. You know they'll make you think or their content is provocative, but always you know well thought out and always um kind of expanding our understanding of what it means to be in a relationship with God and one another
0: hmm yeah these 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 books are definitely not your uh life way Christian bookstore <laughs> books, but for anyone listening, they are books that will challenge you and push you. In the best ways possible, even if you don't walk away agreeing with everything that you hear, I can guarantee you, as someone who has read some and is is planning on reading more, you will be blessed by them. Um, thank you so much for that. That's a ringing endorsement. Oh, thank you. I I, <laughs> I appreciate that. But I mean, I genuinely mean that. I would say that to you off air as well. Thank you. That's that's really what we we're hoping for. What we we're hoping to accomplish. So it's, it means a lot to hear you say that. Absolutely. Uh, so for those college or not college, I mean technically they are college courses. Will those be for uh n- for non enrolled students? I can't remember the word for that yeah. off the top of my head. Yep. Auditing, auditing. Yeah, that's the they'll
1: word. they'll be available to the public as well as um the college students themselves. They just the public won't get continuing education units, but they can still totally. take the course.
0: Yeah, that that's awesome. That that's very exciting. Um, with that, I I usually try to. At the end of the podcast, I, I genuinely believe in the world that we live in. I I guess two things. I, I'm going to cut that out. With Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you about a book or about uh, talking to the authors or even just talking to you or – uh, social media presence, and are, are you working on anything? Can we as- expect a book from you? <laughs> so uh, so the best way to, to get in touch with everything we're
1: doing is just on the main website, choir.com. And it is spelled different. It's Q-U-O-I-R.com. And the name is actually a, a, it's a combination of two words that are pronounced the same but are spelled differently. So there's the choir that we're familiar with, like a church choir, C-H-O-I-R, uh, mm-hmm. But then there's the other spelling, Q-U-I-R-E, which is a bundling of pages uh, that are comprised or that comprise a book. So if you've ever looked at a traditionally uh, hardbound book, and if you take a look at the spine, you'll see that there's little, little groupings of pages that are bundled together. Each one of those little uh, mini bundles is called a choir. And so mm-hmm. what we loved about the two words is they both had this concept of the many into the one. And that's where our tagline comes from. Many voices, one message. So, um, so Q U O I R is our website. And there you can, if you're an author, uh, you can submit a proposal. If you'd like to be published by us and you can find information on our other podcasts and things that we're doing there. As far as myself, uh, I do have a book I've been working on for a few years now. Uh, to be honest, it may still be another couple of years before it comes out. Uh, it's the, uh, the old saying that the carpenter's house is always in disarray. So because I'm constantly working on the other books that we're publishing through choir, I almost never have any time to work on my own. So, uh, but hopefully, hopefully someday there'll be a, a book that comes out and, um, and, uh, I,
0: I know a publisher who's willing to to pick it up. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> any, any sneak peek on what that book might be about or just leave it as is right now? Uh,
1: yeah. So. Um, it's funny because if you spend enough time working on a book, uh, your concept of the book will change. Um, Mm -hmm. so it started out as, uh, a book that would be talking about my experience going through divorce and remarriage within the context of, you know, being a, a young Christian. Um, but then taking a step back, I've realized that that story, um, pretty much parallels my deconstruction in that journey. And so I think it's, it's pretty, it would be interesting to do more of a memoir type book where it's dealing with some of the topics of deconstruction and reconstruction, but through the um, lens of going through a divorce and a remarriage. um, Hmm. And because those two things were basically happening at the same time. And there's a lot of overlap between the two and a lot of insights I gained along the way. Um, so that's, that's the rough idea of it right now. And we'll see, you know, a couple of years from now, it could be something completely different, but.
0: No, I, I know even, even if it does change, I, I, I have no doubt that that, that, that story and, and, and the words that you write will, will impact people and, and bring bring comfort to people. I, I think, I, I think it was Derek Webb that said um, he, he went through a similar experience and he said, it felt like I was losing two two people at once Mm. uh it's it it's interesting to to hear that and and i know for a fact that people have resonated with his music and and we need more people to tell those stories of these were the things that triggered my deconstruction yeah and here like this is what i've been through and i've seen the valleys and i'm I'm either on my way or I'm on the mountaintop now and I can promise you that it gets better on the other side. So we need that. And, and I want to say that to you in, in closing of I, I genuinely believe in, in the climate that we live in both politically and just a, within the church that there needs across the aisles, there needs to be more encouragement. Like I genuinely believe that that is a spiritual discipline in and of itself. So I just want to encourage you in what you're doing with choir and even you. with that book, you you guys have helped me and you guys have helped by extension my wife and friends that I'm helping counsel through certain circumstances and things that they're questioning with. You've given me resources and you've given me places to point people if I don't have an answer. And that is a gift that is beyond words. Thank so, you so much. So with that being said, please, please write that book. I know take <laughs> please, please because I know people will be, will experience so much healing through it, and and I, and and I, I can't wait for it. I've already consider me and I'll, I'll, I'll Venmo you and, and I'll buy a copy right. Now. <laughs> all right, I got one pre-sale. <laughs> <laughs> with, with all that being said, thank you so much for being on the show, Ralph. And and thanks for having for me. anyone for anyone that uh, that is looking for books or is looking to be published, reach out. I I can't commend the this group enough. But again, thank you so much for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it.